0: All right, we're in First Peter chapter two. We're going to start in eleven. If you're new with us, we've been going through the book uh, by First uh, uh, Peter. We're looking at what it means to be a church everywhere, scattered throughout a region like the church that Peter's speaking to who is scattered throughout Asia Minor. And uh, it's been a, I've, I've been I've enjoyed this journey to be honest, and really enjoying teaching. And I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. We're going to back up a couple verses. We've already talked through a little bit of 11 and 12, but I want to go there again as we go into 13 through 17. So let's read together. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Gentiles here, just to be clear, represents the people that are outside of the, the faith. Outside, that, outside of They don't know yet. God is Father. They haven't experienced the Spirit of God bringing change to their hearts. They uh, don't know and love Jesus yet. So it's a, he's referencing this idea of being exiles when Israel is exiled in Babylon and those that there were around them were not part of God's people. So a similar kind of idea. It says, Keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Once again, Peter Is calling them to live a life in light of who God is, what he's done for them, and now who they are as exiles and strangers in the world, as sojourners in this world. And that's something we're going to keep doing as a church. We're going to keep saying, what does this say about who God is? How do we know that through what he's done in Jesus Christ? What does that say then about who we are, if our faith is in who God is and what he's done for us? And then how would we live in light of that? So that's the ongoing a uh, way in which we're going to continue to study the Word of God, and that's how God speaks to us is in that fashion. And so the motive for what we do has got to come out of the confidence of who God is, faith and trust in God, what He's done, and who we are in Christ. So now let's consider as we turn a bit of a corner towards how that works itself out in the world, in particular with governing authorities that God has in place that are around us, um, Let's talk about what that looks like. And Peter wants to show what honorable conduct looks like as God's people in the world to show the world what God is like. So let's read verse 13 to 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. And just so you know, the emperor in that day was Nero, pretty friendly guy. Uh, If you know much about church history, Nero uh, was so wicked he even had his own mother killed at one point. Pretty messed up man. He, he used uh, the bodies of Christians burned on a stake to uh, be torches along the pathway in, in, in the certain ways along Rome. So, I mean, we're, this is a very wicked man. Now, he wasn't doing necessarily all of that when Peter was writing this, but he uh, does begin to do more of that. And so you see God in his uh, work through Peter, preparing God's people for what's going to come as they're going to suffer under this emperor. So he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether it be to the emperor, Nero, as supreme, or to the governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So Peter is calling God's people to submit to every human institution, which really means every human order that's been set up to actually bring order to a society, both punishing evildoers and praising the good, so that it supports life, it supports uh, building up of life. Now, granted, the situation is not doing that well, and yet Peter is still going to call them to be subject to the governing authorities. And in the next few weeks, we're going to look at, not only like today, the government uh, and the authorities around us, but specifically in the next few weeks, we're going to look at our workplace our home, uh, our marriage, a variety of different situations and where we work this out. So the first thing I want to ask is, why is Peter calling them to submit to the governing authorities? Well, if we back up, we see earlier, he says, the reason why is so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they would see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There were some people in Peter's day that belonged to the church that had the, had the temptation or even the leaning toward just saying, I don't need to submit to the governing authorities because we belong to the kingdom of God. Jesus is king. Caesar isn't. Let's do whatever we want under Jesus. It doesn't matter what Caesar says. It doesn't matter what the governing authorities say. And Peter's saying, that's not how it's to be with you guys. You're You're not just running through the nation that you live in as though you're not going to live there. I want you to live there and submit to its governing authorities as unto the Lord. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But what's important to understand is Peter, in his language of sojourner and exile, is referencing these people back to the narrative of Israel in Babylon when they were brought into captivity. And it was part of their process of God disciplining his people when they, when they started to believe that God was not a good ruler and the land they were living in was not a good land, and they began to rebel against God and look to other things to find their hope and their trust and their identity in. So God then, in his discipline of his people, allows them to be brought into exile in Babylon. And there were actually some prophets in that day who would show up and started saying Hey, just so you guys know, God's going get to get you out of here in no time. Don't worry about it. You know, you're, you're, you're moving on. Don't get settled. You're gone in a few days or a few years. Don't worry about it. And then God uses, speaks through the prophet Jeremiah, in particular, chapter 28 and 29, and he says, they're lying to you. They're not speaking on God's behalf. You're going to be here for quite a while. So here's the deal. God knows the plans that he has for you. They're good plans. They're good to. They're, they give you a future and a hope. They're going to. He's going to prosper you. But you're in the land now, and you're in the land for a while. So what I want you to do, what God wants you to do, Jeremiah says, is actually plant gardens. Yeah, I, I we just moved uh, this last week to Redmond, and uh, I'm leaving my gardens back in Tacoma, and I didn't plant any plants in them, you know, in terms of vegetation. Because I'm not going to plant plants I'm not going to get to take care of and enjoy the fruit of. So God's saying, no, no, you're going to be here for a while. Begin to till the ground. Begin to plant the seeds. Begin to live on this land and build houses here and marry your daughters and sons off and and encourage them to have children and fill this land with my people. You're here for a while. And, and, And he even goes further. He says, and what I want you to do is I want you to pray for the welfare of Babylon. Now, any Jewish person who hears, pray for the welfare of Babylon, is hearing, pray for the enemy. Pray that it would go good with the enemy. And you, know, you hear the same kind of command when Jesus shows up in his sermon on the mount, his, most, his longest, most famous sermon, where he says, pray for those who persecute you. Do good to your enemy. When someone asks for, to take your, your jacket, give them another one. Uh, This is kind of the message Jesus is giving on how you love the Roman enemy that's amongst you. And and God calls his people to pray for and bless the enemy. And then he says, because if you do, it will also go well with you. In other words, you live here, make it a great place, bless those who may not agree with you, in some cases are against you, bless them, pray for them, love them, serve them, wherever you're at. And time passes and Israel is brought back into the land, but then a new tyrant ruler comes in place at one point, and it, it's the government of Rome. And there was actually a group of people amongst the Jewish people called the Zealots. And the Zealots had set their hopes on the idea that the only way we're going to get out from under the imp- oppression of the evil one, of the enemy, of the enemy nation, is to eventually revolt. So they were known as people who had like little knives on their, you know, their back here, ready to like kill someone at any moment. And there were the zealots coming around trying to take into their own hands the deliverance of God's people. And so Jesus shows up when he was born and raised. He was raised in that environment. There was a variety of different leaders of these types of revolt groups uh, amongst the people. And what's interesting is when Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, he gets a couple zealots. Now, I don't know if you, you can just kind of imagine what it must have been like to be in the band of disciples of Jesus. He's got Matthew, who's a tax collector, who worked for the Roman government, who's collecting money from Israel, from the, people, the Jewish people, for the enemy nation. And he becomes a disciple of Jesus, and there's a zealot there, too. Can you imagine Jesus going like, put the knife away. You're not killing Matthew today. You know? I know he's come to me and he's following me. Don't go after his friends. You, know, like you can imagine that, that Matthew party Jesus gets invited into and he's got a couple of the zealots following him along. He's like, okay, guys, I'm telling you, no knives. You're not killing anybody today, right? This is the kind of group that he's got. I love this about Jesus because Jesus models in his own discipleship the ability to bring a variety of people who would never get along into this family and they have to learn how to love one another even though they're enemies. It's incredible. Interesting enough, Peter, you might remember, when Jesus is arrested, he happens to have a sword with him too. I don't know if the zealots start teaching Peter to start carrying a sword or what it was, but remember that? Jesus gets arrested and some of the gospel writers don't tell you who it is, but one of the gospel writers says it was Peter. Kind of rats him out, you know? And uh Peter c- jumps up when Jesus is getting arrested, pulls out the sword and cuts the ear off a guy's head. Remember that one of the uh, assistants to one of the, the priests, the high priest. You're like, I mean, first of all, I'm just going like, what kind of aim is that? Like, hoo, ha, you know, like ninja. I'm just taking your ear. That's all I'm after. <laughs> or was it just bad aim? He was going after his head and he missed. I'm not sure. But the ear falls to the ground. Jesus grabs the ear, puts it. He says, "This is not what I'm doing." This is, I'm not here to cause a revolt. I am not here to fight this way. And he takes the ear and he puts it back on the man's head. And I, I really believe in that moment, Peter had a moment that he'll never forget. I'm sure even as he's writing this, the Spirit of God is bringing that to remembrance and saying, Peter, it's not how we work. And then to see Jesus bring healing where there was retribution. I, I even wonder As a church, if we need to ask Jesus just to pick up the ear for us, to say, like, there's been some hurt, there's been some pain, there's been some retribution, there may have been some hard words that have been said, there may have been some hateful, spiteful things that have been done, Jesus, would you just pick up the ear and heal it? Would you put back the pieces? Would you restore the brokenness? We need you. You're the healer who steps into the middle of our fighting, and you bring hope and healing where there's brokenness. See, Peter Peter learned that, when, when, when he's saying this in the text, for the Lord's sake, subject yourself to these rulers. What is he saying? He's saying, this, what we are about is we are a picture of what Jesus does to us. We are a picture to the world of what Jesus is like in his call to his enemies to say, I'm, I'm here to forgive, I'm here to restore, I'm here to heal, I'm here to rebuild. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians six twelve. says, says the same kind of thing, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. There's an unseen battle going on. And what's interesting is Jesus comes and he submits himself to to the Caesar, the ruling authority, the emperor. And he submits himself to Pilate, the governor, and in Jesus' subjection to the rulers who are supposed to bring punishment to evildoers, Jesus himself is put in the place of an evildoer on our behalf. And he submits himself to that. He, here's the thing I want you to hear Jesus is not a pacifist, he just is not fighting flesh and blood. He's all about war, just not war against us. He himself said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. But Jesus went to war to defeat sin, Satan, and all the evil in this world through his life and through his death. He wants to put it to death to set us free. He is battling at the cross on our behalf. He doesn't come with a sword. He lets the sword go through him so that we can be set free from the the death penalty we all deserve for our sin. I, I was thinking through this and thinking through, if Jesus did not submit himself to the governing authorities who wrongly treated Jesus, they're supposed to punish evildoers. Jesus is not an evildoer. He's the only one who's ever existed who's never, ever sinned. And yet he's treated like the worst evildoer there is, put on a Roman cross to suffer and die outside of the camp, which is the most humiliating thing for any Jewish person to ever experience. Can you imagine if Jesus was like, I don't need to submit to you. I belong to another kingdom. And I got angels and they're better than your warriors. And they're going to kick your butt. Come on, let's go. It would have been over. And so would we. We would be without hope if Jesus did not submit himself to the Father's will, to the governing authority's power, and to the death of the cross that he Suffered for you and me. I want to be clear. Jesus willingly submitted. If you're forced in submission, that's not submission. Submission is to willingly submit. To say, I have the power not to, but I'm going to choose to. In fact, I'm going to say this a few times today. The freest people in the world are the people who have the power to submit. The freest people in the world are the people who have the power to serve. The freest people in the world are the people who have the ability to bring into wickedness love and grace and transformation. Those are the freest people in the world. And Jesus is free more than anyone else. And Jesus did not come to fight against humans, to fight against flesh and blood, but rather to fight for humans by fighting against sin, Satan, and death. And when he went to the cross, not only did Jesus take on all of our sin, all of our sin, past, present, and future, But at the cross, he paid the penalty of our sin. And at the cross, he defeated the power of sin. And at the cross, he crushed the head of the serpent. And at the cross, he overcame the death blow that we all deserve. And when he rose again from the dead, he stood victorious and he said, I now have power over sin, death, and Satan. All authority in heaven has been given to me. Now go do what I tell you to do because nothing is going to stand against you. No weapon that the enemy fashions against you can prosper. I am King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ has the power to set us free. Jesus Christ has the ability to help us stand in the day of persecution. Do you know that Peter is speaking about a reality he's going to have to face because it doesn't take much time before Peter and the disciples suffer persecution and Peter himself gets crucified for his faith in the Roman world, and he says, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Savior, so please crucify me upside down. Peter gets crucified upside down. Do you know what Tertullian said? He's one of our church fathers. He said, it's through the blood of the martyrs that the seed of the church has been planted. See, what Peter's saying, he's going, when you do good to those who do evil... When you submit to those who probably don't deserve it and they accuse you of evil doing but you still do it because you know that God is God over them, king over them, that all along God is not out of control. He is totally in control and he'll even use their wickedness and evil against you to, to advance his kingdom. What we didn't realize... On that side of it was when all these people would die for their faith and the blood of the martyrs would be shed throughout the streets of Rome, what it would do was sow the seeds of the gospel and the church would blow up in the best possible way. And what happened was literally hundreds of thousands of people came to faith in Jesus because they watched these people being willing to lay down their life for the sake of their king, Jesus. And when they proclaimed a message that the, the king of the world was willing to die for the sin of the world, what then they showed a life that, that actually was different because of it. And they said, it's got to be real. Real because nobody would willingly keep professing the name of Jesus all the way to their death, and potentially to be burned at the stake for something that's not true. They did it because it's real, because Jesus is the only one who can set you free, who can forgive you of your sins, who can give you a new life, who can set you free to live life you were always meant to live. I will die for that. Yes. And see, for many of us, when we hear this and we're like, we don't live with the, the, the potential that we might walk out of this building and get killed for our faith. There are people right now in the world who may lose their head for Jesus. I encourage you, if you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, to read that. Just read the stories of those who, even when they were brought to the point of suffering and dying for Jesus Christ, in, in many cases, they just spoke to the one who was going to kill them and said, Jesus loves you and he forgives you for what you're about to do. And they tried to call him still to faith in Jesus all the way to the end. Oh, oh Jesus, would you please give us a heart to love those who persecute us, to, to bless those who turn against us. And, you know, Maybe even today you're going, I, I I have somebody like that in my life. I'm not going to die for my faith. Maybe some will, but... Uh, i I'm, I'm just I feel like i 'm dying every day feel like jeff that battle you're talking about that battle not that 's not here in front of me, but the, I feel it it 's a spiritual battle I feel like i'm putting to death something all the time I feel like i 'm fighting something all the time I feel like just the the ability to love somebody and forgive somebody it's it 's hard you don't understand the person that's in my life they're difficult they're're they're, they're not kind they're not gentle they're abusive they're They're hard to deal with. Let me just offer you a couple things before I move on to the next point. Let me just encourage you. Just start praying for them. The the, the greatest thing you can do to bring change to someone's life is not trying to change somebody, but asking God to do the work. Say, God, would you break in and would you change their heart And would you bless them? Would you pour your grace on them? See, if you don't want to bless those who persecute you, you won't pray for their salvation because that's the greatest blessing there is. But if you actually want to see those who hurt you and turn against you get blessed, you know the greatest blessing is for them to get set free from the slavery they're in, to be changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. See, pray for them. And then second, verse 15, For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Not only do we want to submit to the governing authorities and then pray for those who persecute us, but we also want to serve the ignorant. See, Jesus, when he was on the cross, remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I want to encourage you. To get the eyes of faith to see when you look at somebody who is exercising evil and look past the person to the spiritual reality that's controlling the person, that they're ignorant of the truths of who God is. That they don't know God. They don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know the grace of the gospel. They don't know the love that God can pour into their hearts. You've got to believe that. Just, if, you, if you look at people who are exercising evil against God's people, just understand they're ignorant of the fact that they are actually standing against God. They don't know. And so Jesus prays from the cross, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Maybe we can adopt that prayer. Father, they're doing horrible things. They don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. Please change them. Please bring them to the knowledge of the truth of who you are and what you've done through Jesus to forgive them and set them free from this evil that they're engaged in. Recently, I watched the movie, Avengers. I'm not really into that. It's my kids, you know. I just go to take them and I kind of like it too, so. How many of you guys seen the newest Avengers movie? A lot more hands in this service. So the earlier gathering is like just like three. I'm like, yeah, that was not the movie watching crowd. So uh, more in this one. And do uh, you remember that one character in the movie? I can't remember her name, but she had the ability to like enter in and kind of control your mind and get your, like you started seeing things and experiencing things that weren't real, but she got you to like start to live in a way that would turn against the others And she could actually control their minds to the point at which they became like an enemy to the rest of the Avengers on the team. And if you didn't know what was going on, you would think one of your teammates just turned on you, and then you had to turn against them, and now they're winning the battle because they got us fighting against each other. Please know, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We are not fighting against each other. Anytime you look at another human being and you think that they're the ultimate enemy, you've missed the point. The ultimate enemy is Satan. He is at work in the lives of unbelievers to keep them captive and blind to the truth of Jesus, and they are not free to worship Jesus. They are not free to love like Jesus. They're not able to, uh, to bless those who love Jesus in a way that God would want. They need to be set free. Now here's the deal. Some of you are in the room. Some of you in the room who you don't even know it Peter says there's ignorance there. And we need to have the same kind of awareness that Peter has when he's probably thinking of Nero. You know, I, I wonder if all the way to his persecution, Peter's going, I'm just praying that Nero would repent, that he'd see who God is, that he'd be rescued from his evil, that he'd be set free. That's why I think Peter. Later says, honor everyone. Honor the emperor, honor everyone. And I think what he's saying there is, don't forget these are image bearers created in the image of God, though marred and broken by sin. See them as people whom God can restore and bring back to the way he intended them to be. And, and, and start to have hope for the people around you versus being so so hopeless. You ever have anybody in your life where you're like, nothing can change them? They're hopeless. No way. Not with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And so Peter wants us to look at people and honor them, pray for their freedom, do good deeds, at least we'll quiet them down potentially. Here's the thing that I see a lot of us do. Sometimes when someone comes against us, we use the same weapons of the flesh to come against them. They speak evil, we speak evil back. They gossip, we join them in. Join in. They, they turn against us and do, like, speak evil uh, to others about us. What do we do? We go talk to our friends and talk evil about them, right? And we just engage in the same weapons of warfare that are fleshly weapons. And what Peter is saying is, don't do that. They're, they're doing what they're doing because they're captive by the evil one, and so they're using the weapons of the evil one, you're set free. We're going to get to that in just a moment. You're set free to use an entirely different weapon. Peter, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What Paul is saying is, We have have different kinds of weapons. Earlier, he talked about some of them in in, in that passage. You can look it up later. It's it's humility. It's kindness. It's grace. It's meekness. It's the fruit of the Spirit, really. And, and, you know, it it, it seems weird because the the kingdom of God seems so upside down. It's like, okay, when you persecute, you bless. That doesn't sound like a weapon. It is. It is. When someone speaks evil of you, you speak good of them. And you pray the Father will change them, work in their heart. See, I want you to hear, we have weapons the enemy has no weapon against. Love will never fail, the Bible says. Like, what do you want to do? You want to use the weapon of the enemy? He's just fooling you. Like, hey, you know, when people come against you, come against them. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. And you're going, all right, I will. And he's going, they're so dumb. Don't they realize they're just, they're just, they're just escalating the battle? There's just going to be a bigger war that I'm in charge of, and those who I know are free are acting like they're not because they're using the weapons that I get them to use, so they're submitting me as their master. I'm winning this battle. And he knows that if you give love where there's hatred, the battle stops. Because it takes two parties to keep fighting. He knows if you give blessing, when there's curses, the battle stops. You and I have, do you believe this? You and I have weapons that seem not powerful, but they are the most powerful weapons because they're the weapons that God has given us to defeat the evil one. It's what led Jesus to the cross was the love of God. And the love of God is what defeated Satan's sin and death. You and I have that power if you're God's children. And then, let me just just encourage you. Paul says, the way we do this is we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Meaning, what we do is we say, is this thought or this attitude or this action, does it line up with who God is in Jesus Christ? Does it line up with what Jesus is like and what Jesus has done? And if it doesn't, if I look at what I'm doing or thinking or experiencing, and I go, this has nothing to do with what Jesus is like. To come under Jesus, to bring every thought captive, is to bring it under Jesus. And let Jesus be the master and say, Jesus, show me by your spirit, is this of you or not? Is this how you would live or not? I need need you to be my master so I can learn how to submit to these broken structures around me. I need you to inform me. Is this in line with your truth? Let me just encourage you. Slow down and take thoughts captive and ask What am I buying into? What am I believing? What am I saying? What am I doing? Does it line up with the submission to what Jesus is like? And if not, go Jesus, help me! By the way, family, I am quite concerned for how we, within the family of God, so quickly turn on each other. I was just talking some of this last week. I was up speaking last week the last couple days in Winnipeg and so I hear it all the time, and people go, "You know, Christians are the best at eating their own." That's so sad. The evil one is deceiving us. Don't give in. When I was at Willow Creek, I was part—I led the student ministries years ago, and I remember when uh, when President Clinton was invited to speak at the Leadership Summit, and. Um, Our pastor, Pastor Bill Hybels, was um, a spiritual advisor to to Clinton. And um, as you can imagine, that wasn't the most popular move uh, to invite him in. It was when he was working through all the things that were coming out about what he had done. And um, he was invited in to speak at the Leadership Summit to talk about his failure as a leader. And to openly walk through what happened there and what he's learning about leadership failure and in fact, I was really encouraged because he got up before he spoke and said, I just want to let you know you should be really encouraged and blessed to hear this. Um, your pastor was one of the first to call me and call me to be honest about what I did and repent. I was like, yes. Way to go, Bill. Not Bill Clinton, Bill Heibels." <laughs> but here's what happened we, we showed up that day. and Of course, you have to go through the, the, you know, there's security and there's metal detectors and the whole deal because the president's there. And, you know, you got the caravan showing up and the helicopters around the building. It's crazy. And we're walking in, but there's these picketers outside, you know, holding up signs. They were pro-life people, and they had signs of aborted fetuses. And and uh, I, I was a part of a church, Willow Creek, that Bill Bill has a very, very conservative view on pro-life. So, I mean, he's... He's certainly not the one they should be protesting. But all of a sudden, they're protesting our church and protesting our pastor. And they're walking around with signs protesting us. And and I, you know, I, I'm sitting there when I'm walking through, and I see this. I'm like, let's go get them. Like, I mean, I'm all for pro life, just so you hear me. But I'm like, this is not good. This is not helping us. This is like, like that's the last thing we need is for the president to think we're against him. You know. And so I'm like ready to get them. I'm not. Pay- I'm not very mature in my faith at this point. I think and. Uh, and I, what I loved was Bill Hybels went out and he, he just said, hey, you know, we, we're on the same page. We're on the same team. We both love life. We're both fighting for life. I, I love what you guys are about. I just want to bless you and encourage you. And he had the whole uh, food core group built, like, do a bunch of breakfast and brunch for them and brought it out and just blessed them and prayed over them. And I'm like, I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> but the reality is he didn't think of it either Jesus did. That's the way Jesus works. And you know what it did? It silenced them. It's like they were like, "Wait a minute. We're on the same team." What are we doing? I guess we had this one wrong. Family, could we do that with one another? Can we be you know, How many churches are on the east side? Do anybody know? 1 One church. I know, it was a trick question. I'm sorry, I kind of caught you. One church with one senior pastor. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the head of his church. We're on the same team, same family, okay? We're not against each other. How many humanities are there? One. How many creators are there? One. We are one humanity. Let's love one another as Real people created in the image of God, broken and enslaved by the evil one, that need to be set free from his grips. Man, if we love people like that, we'd actually be able to tell a message of Jesus on a cross, proclaiming good news to people who are killing him, and they might actually believe it. Oh, our city needs this message. We desperately need to see people the way God sees them. We desperately need to love people who don't love us back. Only Jesus can help us with this because only Jesus does it perfectly. And see, Peter goes on. He he makes sure we understand this. To not do it is to enter back into slavery. This is what he says, verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. In other words, don't say well, yeah, but we're God's people. We can do whatever we want. They don't, they don't believe what we believe. They're not under God's authority. So like, you know you know what that led to? That led to the, 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 the conquest. Do you remember those in our church history? where well, the church took up the sword and said, let's go kill everybody that doesn't believe what we believe. You might go, well, we're not doing that today, but are we doing that with our hearts? Are we doing that with our words? Are we saying let's kill everybody who doesn't agree with us? Let's take them out with our words. Let's hate them in our hearts. Let's oppose them with our lives. Now let me ask, why do we have such a hard time with this? I mean, I'm going to be real honest. I have a hard time not wanting to retaliate. I have a hard time not wanting to return evil with evil. I have a hard time blessing those who speak evil of me behind my back or to my face. I have a hard time with that. Why? Do you? Am I the only one in the room? I think we do, right? And the reason why is because if we're not careful, we go right back into the life we used to have and we become slaves to something other than Jesus Christ. We have another master that we're submitting to, and that master is giving us directions. And, and he's, he's, he or she or it is teaching us how to treat people. And, and what we need to do is keep going, no, I was, I was set free from that. If, the, if Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed, you're free to be under a new master to submit to him and live a new life. But the problem is, you and I keep going back into bondage. You go, no, I don't. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you, what's the controlling motive of your life? What, at times, when you're in those situations, is the most influence on you? Is it the other person that's treating you evilly with evil? Because at that point, you become a slave to them. You know, yeah, but they're a jerk, and they treated me horribly, and they, should, they need to pay for this. I know, there is a God who executes justice, and you're, uh, you are not him. So let God deal with that, but don't be a slave to them, because as soon as their evil behavior controls your behavior, you've put yourself under their authority, not in a submissive, loving, godly, gentle, caring Christ like way, but rather in a way that leads to you being a slave to them and them controlling your life, and that leading to more brokenness and more pain and more hurt that 's what 's going on don't don 't get fooled don 't be ignorant you think you 're in control but you 're being controlled that 's what 's going on that 's why Peter says earlier, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul please hear this. He's not pitting the body against the soul. He's not saying, you know, the desires of your body, like food and and sexuality and enjoying nice things with your eyes and engaging in the world. He's not saying that's bad. That would be Gnosticism, to say anything done in the body is evil. Peter's not giving into that. What he's saying is, pay attention that you don't engage that you abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And the passions of the flesh is another way of saying, do not be overpowered by an over-desire. In other words, don't let a good thing become an ultimate thing and then it becomes a God thing in your life. And what that means is something that's good that becomes godlike will have power over you and it'll be the thing that starts to control you. Like food, like alcohol, like sex, like work. If you're a workaholic, something I've got to regularly watch in my own life, then I become a slave to my work. It becomes the definer of my identity. It becomes the means by which I get my significance. And the problem is I enter into another new slavery to my work, and then what happens is anybody threatens my identity, anybody confronts me in my job, anybody talks about how I might not be doing well in something, if I'm not careful, I'll begin to despise them because they're threatening the thing that controls me. We do that with our, with our spouses. We do that with our future. Some of us go like, my singleness, if I could just get married, that would change everything for me. Don't be controlled by that desire. It's a good desire to be married. Don't let it become an over-desire in which it becomes a controlling desire. So of us do this with our kids. We're like, man, they just got to turn out great. If they just turn out great, I'll be amazing. Finally, I will be an athlete. <laughs> Moms and dads on the side of the soccer field. Four-year-old boy. Come on! Kill him! Yeah, you know, it never happened. You're like, oh my goodness, I just said that. Everyone's looking at you like you're the you're the crazy parent. <laughs> it's because you're being controlled by a desire that's become an over desire. It's a good thing to want your kids to do well. It's a bad thing to have them do well so you can be well, so you can be accepted, so you can be significant so you can have an identity and if you're not careful you'll be controlled by that to the point at which you'll live in the fear that your kids won't do well at their grades in their school in their sports you'll want them to turn out so great and if they if there's any threat that they might not boy watch out mom and dad we're coming after whoever threatens that right and then it's really hard to bless and pray for the other team that just scored on your kid in the goal right you're like oh I hate them I mean we, we're a part of the same church we're in the same mission community they're on the other side of the field they're an enemy right now Taking out my kid, we're, we're in trouble. Like, and you, we laugh, but where there's a parts are going like, "Shoot, that's kind of true. Right? It's real. And Peter says, "Be careful, don't give in. You've got to abstain from the passions of the flesh because they wage war against your soul. We've got to have the passion of the spirit, not the passion of the flesh. The passion of Jesus for people, not the passion of the evil one, to take people out. That's so why if you keep reading, you look at, listen to what he says. He says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but live as servants of God. And this is really important. Honor everyone. Can we just make it our goal to just honor people? Speak well or don't speak. And we could disagree, but you can even do that in an honorable way. God made that person in his image. They might be enslaved. They might be captured by the evil one. Do you have compassion on that? Can you look at people who are engaging in evil and go, oh, if only they knew how much God loves them. Clearly, they they must not, because when we engage in this kind of evil against one another, we must not know the great love and grace God has for us. I know you've heard this before, but hurt people hurt people. And there are are some of us even in the room, even though we might be newborn children of God that know Jesus, who are still living in slavery in parts of our life, and I want us to have compassion on you, and I want you to have compassion on me, and pray for me. When you see Jeff going back to the wrong master, go, oh God, please help him to see. Don't let him be ignorant. We're praying that he'll see, that his eyes will be open, that he'll know your love, that you'll show him his sin, that you'll... Awaken him to these devices that are so destructive. Lord, please, please open his eyes. Please change him. I need that. You need that. We need to have that perspective. And then what I love, he doesn't just say honor everyone, and he also says love the brotherhood. Brothers and sisters, I want to make sure it's clear. I'm not saying let's have an environment where we just put up with brothers and sisters not loving each other and we just abuse one another take advantage of each other. Just put up with it. That's not what I'm saying. Like He puts it next to... Brothers and sisters, you've got to love one another. So this isn't like just submit to brothers and sisters who are just continuing to ravage the church. we got to then go talk to them and love them well enough to talk about how they're believing a lie and living in sin and they need to be rescued and delivered to live a life that brings life and hope. And then what he says, I love this, Peter, Peter doesn't say honor God and fear the emperor, but rather fear God and and honor the emperor. What you fear most, most controls you. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you fear God who has the right and the ability to destroy body and soul. It's the only one who can destroy body and soul. When you fear God who has the power and the right to to destroy body and soul, but then you know, as First John 4 tells us, that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And those of us who come to the family of God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, through his death, on the cross, forgiving us of our sins and making us go from enemies of God to children of God, dearly loved, and nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, when you know that and you fear God who is love and is for you, not against you, then you've got nobody to fear ever again because he's both the creator of everyone and the one who's in control of everyone. That's amazing. There's freedom there. And Peter was going, I want you to live free. And you go, well, I don't don't fear. Man, I'm not controlled by anything. You know, well, let me, just, let me just ask you, when's the last time you, you did something and you felt like a victim? You're like, I just couldn't help it. You know, it was the only way to respond to that situation. In that moment, you experienced a form of slavery. Maybe you feared the loss of approval. Maybe you feared the potential rejection. Maybe you feared some real pain. I want to encourage you Above all, else, submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it for His sake, and then you'll be able to walk in a way that can submit to Him as you serve and bless and help others who need it. So you go, I'm not in control by I'm not controlled by anything. How did you feel after the Super Bowl this year? Right, I mean, it, I, I I had a couple days there where I'm like, I'm a slave. Yeah, it's a brilliant marketing strategy. I mean, I love the Seahawks, by the way. Mark, Brilliant marketing strategy to get us all to believe that we're the 12th man and we lost the Super Bowl. And we're all walking around, like, for weeks depressed. I mean, it's already hard enough living here with the rain and all, but, like, we're literally walking around depressed because we're being controlled by a master, right? I mean, I... it's a good thing, football's a good thing, but when it becomes an over desire, it becomes a God thing, and that God thing has ability to control your behavior. And I, I don't know how you were, but I'm like, after that game, you're know, like, we had some people over for the Super Bowl and you know, there's some guests sitting in my room, and it's a great time to introduce ourselves and get to know them and love them. And like the game's done and we lost, and I'm like, I hate everybody right now. <laughs> right? And like for the whole day I'm like driving, I'm like You know, like you get in my way, I'm gonna you know, we're going to have a little problem. And you don't have a Seahawks sticker on you got a 49er sticker on there, I'm really mad. If you're a Patriots fan, it's cause for, for death, right? I mean, that's, that, I'm just being honest. Like, And uh, that's just a small little picture of what we do in lots of things, right? We're free. Don't be a slave. Don't let a, a good thing become a God thing and an overpowering desire be a controlling presence in your life you know the thing I'm convinced of is those who are most free have the easiest time serving people those who are most free have the easiest time serving others because they don't need anything from anybody because they already got it from Jesus Christ everything that they need most the love the affection the adoration the protection the advocacy the one who execute justice at the end of the day and all those things He gets it done. Those who are most free have the easiest time submitting to others because they know on the end of the day everyone ultimately has to submit to Jesus. I want us to be free. So free that the world gets in return for evil, good. The world gets in return for cursing, blessing. That the world gets in return for persecution, love, kindness. Gentleness. You go, how do I do this? How do I, how, do I, how do I get there? I want to read the last part of this chapter. I'm going to teach it in a few weeks, but I want, to, I want to jump ahead just for the sake of us today. Verse 20. For what credit, it won't be on your screen, just listen. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why? Because it resembles the Son. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. Hear that. He didn't just go to the cross to forgive us of our sins. He went to the cross to help us die to sin, to stop giving ourselves to it over and over again and to live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And I know there's people in this room today who need the healing power of Jesus's wounds that you've been hurt you've been taken advantage of you've been someone has not treated you in a way that honored you that treated you like an image bearer of God like a child of God I know that's the case here but I don't want you to leave here just continuing to be someone who's going I've they've got to get paid I've got to get them back I've got to do something about it Anne Lamont said anybody who continues to swallow the pill of, of bitterness and resentment is like someone who swallows rat poison and keeps looking at the rat waiting for it to die Don't swallow the pill. Give it to Jesus, the one who heals your wounds, the one who pays for sin, the one who will execute, the one who entrusts himself who judges justly. Let him deal with it. You can't. It will destroy you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Come receive healing today. For you were straying like sheep. That's a statement saying, we were all kind of dumb. That's what it means, right? Sheep are not real smart. You were all straying. You were ignorant. You didn't know what you are doing. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Today I want to call you to come to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Maybe some of you, you already know him. So you're going, yeah, I did, Jeff. Yeah, but I'm telling you, you need to do it again today. You need to say, heal me, heal me, heal me. Heal my wounds, Jesus. I'm coming to you. You're the shepherd and overseer of my soul. Would you lead my soul to you? Would you heal my soul where it's been wounded? Would you teach my soul how to love? Would you pour into my soul grace? Would you live in me and live through me so that you will shepherd me in this life I need to live? Because I cannot do it without you, Jesus. Return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And there's some of you in this room who've never Ever come to Jesus to set you free to heal you of your brokenness to forgive you of your sins to enable you to live a new life I want to call you to come to Jesus today to not live in the ignorance and the enslavement of sin any longer he's here for you he died for you he overcame for you he wants to heal forgive restore and empower you to live a new life let's pray that he helps us do that Father, I'm blown away by your great love for us, Jesus, that you willingly, you weren't any kind of abuse victim. You willingly laid down your life for us. You were, you were beaten. You suffered horribly for our sins. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Help us to receive it. Thank you for your healing power. We need it. We've been hurt. We've been beaten up by sin, our other sin and ours. Heal us. Jesus, we come to you as a shepherd and overseer of our soul. Would you care for our soul and would you lead our soul into a new way of living? We want to live as free people. We pray that this world would be blessed and be set free as a result of the blessing you bring through our lives. We want all of the east side, all of greater Seattle, to no longer be under the grip of the evil one. Use us, Jesus, as we engage in the war against his evil deceit and destructive power in the lives of people. Help us to do that in Jesus' name, amen.